The following podcast is a Dear Media production. She's a lifestyle blogger extraordinaire. Fantastic. And he's a serial entrepreneur. A very smart cookie. And now Lauren Everts and Michael Bostick are bringing you along for the ride. Get ready for some major realness. Welcome to the Skinny Confidential, him and her. Aha! We have such a complicated relationship with the word wellness. When we look at how it's reflected in society, it comes from this place of restriction. And what can I take out? We wanted to shift the conversation to a world of abundance and bring some joy back into all of this. What's the point of being around and living to 100 if you're not having fun? And I think so much of this conversation is about rigidity, as Colleen's saying, and eliminating things from, from your diet being so rigid, you know, the protocols, I gotta do the hot and the cold and the morning sunlight. And then it's like two hours have passed and my wife's filing for divorce in the morning. Like you can't live this way. Welcome back to the Skinny Confidential Him and Her Show. Today we're sitting down with another husband and wife duo, Jason and Colleen Washup of Mind Body Green. We have been trying to get this duo on the show for years now. We've had an incredible time getting to know them, and we really love this episode. They are such a wealth of knowledge, and like us, they're a couple that also has worked together, killed it together, and is building an incredible life together. Some of the things we get into in this show are the dangers of loneliness, the importance of breath, avoiding doctors turned celebs, and why you need to be critical of where you get your information. We also talk about diet, exercise, the importance of resistance training. This is a very much a wellness-focused episode, and Lauren and I learned a lot, as we always do on the show. We really enjoy talking to Jason and Colleen. They're a wealth of knowledge, like I said, and they've built an incredible business talking all about this kind of stuff. We also get into the secret to a long, happy life, Colleen's experience with birth control, male contribution to fertility issues, and I We really covered the gambit with these two. With that, Jason and Colleen, welcome to the Skinny Confidential, him and her show. This is the Skinny Confidential, him and her. Okay, so why should we be drinking margaritas in the middle of the day as opposed to tonight? Talk to me about that. Do you want to take that one, Colleen? I mean, (laughs) I'm giving everyone here permissions to, to day drink. I am someone who has struggled with sleep for over 20 years, literally was in the hospital in my 20s when I couldn't sleep for like three nights in a row where the doctor gave me a Xanax, which is where my sleep etiquette kind of started and stopped in the hospital. So I've kind of been obsessed with sleep since that happened. And I did wear an aura ring for for about two weeks. I found it made me a little anxious about my sleep, so I don't wear it, even though Jason loves wearing it. But it was great to see the data around alcohol and sleep. I don't think the answer is let's not drink. Let's not, you know, toast with our friends. For me, the answer has been let's bring the margaritas earlier into the day so that it has less of an impact on my sleep. And I love to be that person at brunch that's ordering a margarita at noon. Obviously, if you don't drink, don't start. But if you do drink, enjoy it in the company of friends and and. And be prepared for, you know, I'm a guy who's wearing an aura and a whoop. And last night we came into Austin for the first time in two years. We wanted to have dinner and sit at the bar like a normal couple does. <laughs> things we don't do with little children. And they had a great cocktail list. I'm like, I'm going to have a drink. I'm going to be fully prepared for a terrible aura and whoop score. And that's okay. I love sitting at the bar with as a couple. That is so underrated. More people need to do that. I always tell Michael how fun it is to sit at the bar and eat dinner Because you could talk with the bartender a little bit. Like if you're getting a little boring for me, Michael, you can just offset the conversation a little. And also it's it. There's something about sitting up that's sexy. I think it takes us back to pre-kids dating life. Yeah. Huge win. 
And that's, yeah. I mean, that's that's a tip in itself. So t- you guys told us off air that you are exploring more about connection. And you talked about how you do you do have a TV in your room. So talk to us about that. It all goes back to sleep, right? And one of the most important things when you struggle with sleep that you hear and you're like, oh, crap, you know, that's so obnoxious, where you have to let go of the anxiety about getting a good night's sleep. And when you struggle with sleep, you hear those words and you're like, you just get like all this frustration. But I've actually found that to be true and getting to a place where you can still enjoy going to bed and having it not be something that stresses you out. So we totally break all the sleep etiquette rules in the sense that we love watching TV in bed and it takes us away from work. And we travel to, you know, these wonderful non-wellnessy destinations. We get to fully unwind and learn stuff. You know, right now it's been a lot of Netflix Formula One, a world that's super new to us and also super fascinating. And it helps me relax. And I think with regards to connection, you know, it's been 14 years since we got to my buddy Green. And wow, we, we've seen, it's yeah, it's, it's, been, it's, been, it's been a minute. We've seen quite a bit. And our world has come so far. And we would all agree that, you know, nutrition and exercise are foundational. You know, you got to eat right. You got you to gotta work out. You got to move. But where we sit today, there is a loneliness epidemic. The health implications, I think, are more serious than than. I think we're beginning we're beginning to understand how serious they are. Pre-COVID in 2019, there was a study out of Cigna that said half of Americans, only half of Americans have meaningful IRL daily connection. Pre-COVID. Pre-COVID, 2019. Imagine what that looks like today. Today, if you look at the loneliness epidemic, we're off the COVID levels where I think it was almost a quarter of all Americans were lonely. Now that number is 17%, but almost a quarter of young adults under 30 are lonely. Now, if you think about, okay, what are the health implications of this? If you are lonely, that if you, if you look in terms of uh, whether risks for premature being lonely is equated with smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Whoa. So, okay, 15 cigarettes a day, lo- I'm lonely. It is also, it, you are, it is twice as worse. Being lonely is twice as worse as having six drinks a day. That's 42 drinks a week. I mean, as you're probably going to explain it, but why does it equate to that? So let me, let me get on the list and I'll come back to it. So then, so we've got smoking, drinking, then lack of physical activity. It is three times as worse. Being lonely is three times as worse. And then obese, being obese, being lonely is four times as worse as being obese. And so if you go back to like the mental health epidemic, when people lose hope, when they lose connection, there are serious consequences for our health and well-being. And it's something we don't talk enough about. Like we've all, you know, someone's ever struggled with their mental health. Like that's really hard to regain. And when you're lacking that connection, all sorts of things start to go wrong in the body. You know, there are studies that will say essentially exercise and nutrition can lower your risk for premature death, more or less the same, the 20, 40% range. But having a real meaningful relationships, being in a loving partnership can lower uh, premature uh, death by 45%. And so this is out there, the studies are there and like we are lacking connection, we're lacking joy, we need to have fun, we need to be with each other. I think we've learned the hard way. I think that that makes total sense because normally people who are elderly are alone and they obviously end up dying and a part, I look at some elderly people and a part of that probably is because they're lacking connection. Yes. My grandmother 
passed away in 90 and she was constantly on the move with tons of friends and working with me and we had sushi nights and she was <laughs> it, it she constantly had connection and then i look at someone else's grandmother who's sort of locked in the house and hibernates and agoraphobic and they end up dying sooner so that makes total sense do you think that the reason that we're seeing such surge in loneliness is because of social media I think it's all the above. I think it's social media. I think it's the lockdowns. I think we've so many of the younger generation have lost the art of communication. You know, I think it's one out of seven women don't have a single friend. See, that's one out of seven men don't have a single friend. One out of 10 women don't have a single friend. If you think about that, it's sad. And I hate to be ageist, but we're all relatively the same age. And I was, I saw- Oh, you guys are much younger than us. Not too much younger though. Like, what is it? Maybe- I'm 48. Okay, so like and a decade. Colleen's 43. Well, you'd be 44 in a month. Okay, but Thanks still. Do not time. add numbers know, to I'm my age. Okay. She's 43. <laughs> yeah, do not okay. add numbers. I'll be, four, like, I'll be 49 uh, in November, yeah, so not, you can add that okay, to you too. Well, so yeah, well. <laughs> I think, but we are one of the last kind of, we're in the same generation, last generation to kind of grow up prior to having phones, social media, yeah. all these things. Like you kind of had to figure out all your social interactions. Like the, Lauren and I got our smart smartphones when we graduated college. So basically grew up you know, without all these things. So you actually had to have a human interaction. If I wanted to meet a girl, I had to actually go speak to somebody. If I wanted to have a friend, I actually had to go meet up with them and do things. I think so many people now, they just like, it's at their fingertips, especially when it comes to dating, you're just like swiping and tapping and all these things. And I'm not opposed to these things, but I, I do think it makes some of these human interactions a little bit artificial. And I talk to our younger siblings and some of their friends and they're complaining about these things that just weren't issues when we were coming up. And even, you know, we were joking that I'm telling people to get back in the office, but there's a lot of young people that work in the company. I'm like, listen, I know you like the lifestyle of having the flexibility of wanting to be at home, but there's something to be said about being around other people and going to lunch and getting coffee and getting drinks and going and like, inter- even if you're wasting time and you feel like that meeting's kind of useless, it's, yeah. it's, it's about being around other people. 100%. My, my all-time favorite study, which is in the book, is the Rosetto study. And Rosetto was a small town in rural Pennsylvania in the 1950s. In the 1950s, this is when heart disease arrives in America, the exception of Rosetto. Men under 55 had half the rate of cardiovascular disease than the rest of, rest of America. No, sorry, 65, half the rate, under 55, non-existent, no heart disease. By the way, you are phenomenal at remembering stats, but keep going. <laughs> I, it's all the caffeine I drink. I'm also very, very pro-black coffee. That's, that should be in the book. Keep going. I don't want to do that, but I'm just saying. And I had call last night, so it's working for recall. me. You know, sorry, Dr. Amen. Uh, so, and so they took a look at Rosetta. What are these people doing? Are they doing NAD injections? Are they, you know, what, what are, you know, I'm joking, it's 1950s. They are drinking, they are smoking, they are having meatballs, they are having pasta, and they're like puzzled. Like, we don't get it. They're doing all the things you shouldn't do. They take a closer look. These people had like the strongest social connections. Multi-generational living was paramount. Grandparents were living with grandchildren. They were, the, the, the drinking and the smoking was in celebration. You know, they were parades and parties. You know, people were knocking on each other's doors. And that was the context for this. And guess what? 1960s comes, community starts to break apart, people move away, heart disease catches up with the national average in Rosetto. And if you think about it, like that's a pretty unbelievable experiment. And we kind of did the opposite of that in the last couple of years. And I think for me, that's a good reminder. Cause look, I like the gadgets, the things. I got the aura, I got the whoop, I've tried all the diets. Like I like working out and trying to, you know, gain lean muscle mass right now as I'm starting to age and shrink. But it's something I need to think about. This is my theory with it. I think that 
there are so many different ways to get a hold of people now. Text message, WhatsApp, email, Skype, Zoom, like face, Facebook, FaceTime, Instagram DM. That by the end of the day, people are fucking tired. And they need to recharge their energy because all day long has been interaction. The problem is it's not human interaction. It's digital interaction. So when I think of myself, like, why don't I go out all the time with my friends? It's because by the end of the day, I've engaged with so many different people on, you know, also with what we do with podcasting that I, I need to recharge my battery alone. I think that there's something to be said that maybe people just have so much interaction all day long and so much stimulation all day long that they almost get lonely at night because they're tired. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I I think we're just led to believe that a digital interaction is the same as a human interaction. Sounds like it's not. Sounds like it's not as true. You know, there's data that, you know, when you actually get a hug from someone, it creates different brain waves and more oxytocin than when someone says, you know, I'm giving you a virtual hug. A hug and a virtual hug are not the same thing from a brain standpoint and the emotions that we're feeling, you know, as part of that human interaction. And we throw around words as if they're interchangeable. I have a community. Okay, a community on in a digital community is so different than a community of people who are IRL there to support you and be with you and be that call at 12 at night when shit has hit the fan. Yeah, I'll tell you. I mean, I know we had you guys come travel in person, but when Lauren and I have tried to do these kind of things remote, like you can go look at any of the ones we've done around in the rare now, but they're just not as impactful. They're not as good because I don't, we don't have this to play off of. I don't see the person. I feel I'm looking at this screen. I'm kind of like, you go, I go. It's artificial. (laughs) Like I can see you laugh. I could see your, I could see what's landing, what's not landing. I can like see your body movement. And I think Again, people are missing that when they go and they focus on all these different kind of digital interactions and they don't actually get out and meet people in person. I think also in the dating world, when you've prefaced all of this and you're like swiping and talking online, like you haven't had that, like you haven't had that spark to see like, is there actual human chemistry here? And then people are let down, right? It's like, oh, I like what this person said. And who knows how long it takes them to come up with that response, right? Like I talk to my friends and they're sitting here, like they have a whole group of eight people that are coming up with a response to one girl. I'm like, guys, you know, see what it's like to actually just go out and riff with somebody. But I think it's important. And I, I don't know if we're going to get back to that place because the more abundant these platforms become, I just feel like the more people are going to lean into them. Yeah. And look, I, I don't think the we're not anti-technology or anti-social media. I think they're wonderful tools for connection with maybe the exception of TikTok. Uh, I do not have that on my phone. But but I think, you know, what, what we need now, you know, let's take a step back and the Within social media, you know, we've got nutrition influencers, we've got fitness, we've got all types of influencers. Like, what about like connection influencers? Like, how do we leverage this for good? You know, it, it, it's so clear we need to get out, we need to meet people, we need to be out in the real world, like having eye t- contact, like hugging people. We need to do more of that. Like, we'd love to create a conversation so that happens. Because I, I think we're just so hurting for connection. And we are always optimists, but when you look at the data around kids, you guys know we have two girls, six and four, and you know why we're so frightened of these wonderful little humans becoming teenagers is, is really because of the social media impact. And it impacts girls more than boys, although there's tons of data on how hard it is to be a boy right now, too. It's just really hard to be a human. But you know, about 40% of teenagers suffer from loneliness. It's higher in girls, about 60%. I'm optimistic that we're going to understand that the impact of social media 
on kids is equivalent as tobacco. In the same way you're not going to, you know, give your 13-year-old some <laughs> some cigarettes to smoke, we're not going to be giving our kids phones hopefully when our kids become of age because the data is just becoming so clear where you just can't ignore it. So what's the solution? I wish I had it. The answer isn't that social media is going away. Like there's one, there's such a huge boom in creators. 40% of Gen Z wants to be a creator now. Creators aren't going away. Influencers aren't going away. Social media is not going away. I just think we need to give our kids the tools to understand how to interact better with it. Because we just kind of gave them this amazing technology, lots of cool, shiny, bright objects, and then expected them to be able to control these super addictive, addictive apps. And we need to give them better tools. We need to teach them critical thinking in school so that they understand, you know, what, how they should be interacting. And I think one of the takeaways is rather simple. And, and this is something I've had to work on. So I've, I've definitely, men are worse. Men are proven to be worse than women in keeping in touch with friendships. So I go back to my 20s, you know, New York, all the guys I played basketball with in college, we'd go out all the time and that was great. And then the 30s happened and then they get married and then kids and then boom, you lose touch. And, and happens to men all the time. We're terrible. And I think it's as simple as this is where use technology for good long time ago, you'd actually have to pick up the phone and like call someone and then wait, hello, who is this? You know, prank caller, prank caller. Now, like it's a text message. Hey, so-and-so, it's been a long time. Thought of you for X, Y, and Z. How are you? Would love to catch up. It's as simple as that. I'm reaching out. I think you'd be surprised by the response. And, and you know, I think approach people, you know, with, with empathy, a lot of people are suffering and I think it's good to check in. This is an important conversation. I love it. You guys have had access to some incredible people being the co-founders of Mind Body Green. Out of all the people that, that have come on your platform that you guys have interviewed, what are some really great wellness tips that people can implement into their self-care if they're feeling down? I think maybe start with breath since that's the first chapter of the book. And I think, you know, think I think of the biggest objection people have to health and wellness is I don't have the time. I have the I don't have the resources. And it's like, we get it. This is one of the reasons the why behind the book, because we started to feel this way. It's like, we're in this business. We don't have the time for everything. We like all the stuff. And if you think about it, breath from a pure ROI standpoint is an amazing place to start. If you don't breathe, you're going to die probably after a few minutes. Maybe some people on the show can maybe do like seven or eight minutes, but you know, a couple of minutes, I'll be gone. You breathe 17 to 30,000 times a day. So you're doing it no matter what. And half the population is, is breathing wrong and that they're, they're breathing through their mouth. You are more prone to anxiety when you're breathing through your mouth. You are more prone to suck in germs when you're breathing th through your mouth. And nasal breathing is an amazing tool. I think we could all benefit from, you know, our, our male listeners, you know, just shutting the mouth sometimes when the, when the partners, when the wife, literally or shut the mouth at all times. Yeah. That it's just was, a fantastic I, therapy tool. Every time tool. you're annoying, I'm, I'm going to say, get one breathe. Of those I, I, I don't That's suffer a big from away. loneliness, loneliness. I could not suffer from with my husband. I'm the opposite of lonely with him. So maybe sometimes I'll just tell you to breathe through your nose and shut your mouth. No, no. I read the reviews and they say they love it when I interrupt Lauren. That's like all the, all the, all the reviews. Say so that. Colleen so, can finish the, so I'm the keep doing fantastic it. benefits on breath work. And I'll just, Zip it and do some nasal breathing. No, I mean, I think one of the wonderful secondary benefits of nostril breathing, and there's so many great reasons to do it from like an immune response standpoint, is really because it activates your parasympathetic nervous system. So the rest and digest system. And we talk about the anxiety epidemic. If you want to tune into feeling a little bit more calm, like nostril breathing is the easiest place to start. And I like it because I too got, you know, 
perhaps frustrated with a lot of the more popular meditation and breathwork techniques that require 20 minutes in the morning, 20 minutes at night, which was wonderful before I had kids, but perhaps not as applicable at this life stage. So when there's something you can actually activate when you're in a meeting, when you're in one of those like tense situations that you didn't plan for, that you weren't anticipating, love it. I also think that there's ways to get creative when people say I don't have time. So you guys are telling me that breathing through your nose is incredible. Okay. So let's say I say I don't have time. Then tape your mouth shut at night. Last (laughs) night, I taped my mouth shut the entire night. And for me, it's like I'm multitasking while I'm or passively multitasking while I'm sleeping. You're obviously going to sleep. If you want to implement more nasal breathing, tape your mouth shut. There's ways to like, or I'll, I'll give you another one. Today, I made the bed and also oil pulled at the same time. I'm doing two things at once. Like, I think there's ways when people say they don't have time, I sort of, to be honest, think that's a little bit of an excuse. I think there's ways to make time for little moments throughout the day. Totally. We're all about integration. We are we are low on time as a family, as a couple. But I also see that the way you see health and wellness on social media assumes that a lot of people have a lot of time to do this stuff. You know, a morning routine is glorified where you're like, it's like 40 minutes. <laughs> and fantastic if you have, <laughs> you know, you the time of, to do it. Are you it. guilty of that, Lauren? <laughs> no, but I fall into your camp because I'm the guy, I'm the one, you know, I maybe get a little busier in the day. And so in the morning, I take on the kids and I let her kind of have her time. Like morning time is when I, you know, I make them breakfast and I run around. I deal with the chaos of school and all That's that stuff. That's a wonderful concept. He's a great, a great but dad. She, I don't feel bad. I carried them for 10 months. But she's doing, <laughs> she's doing it at other times. But I, but I think to myself, like, I don't have the time anymore to have these extensive morning routines, at least until they get a little older. And you can do trust little themselves. things though. No, no, but I do. I'm, so that's what I'm saying. Some of what you're saying is like, I try to find the little pockets where I can do something quickly for five minutes or while I'm doing something else. You know, I think we're big believers in editing and not adding. You know, I think it requires taking an honest look at your lifestyle, you know, work, family commitments, and trying to fit things in and and make wellness work for you and not you work for wellness. I think January 13th was National Quitters Day at the gym this past year. So why is that? Everyone, you know, gets excited. They go to the gym. They make these extraordinary commitments that have no basis in reality with their life. And that, that that's it. It's over. So like, do the inventory. Where do I have the time? Where do I have the pockets? And you can find them. You just may have to be a little bit creative. And I also think, you know, why we called the book, The Joy of Well-Being, like I'm a big believer. If it doesn't bring you joy, you're not going to do it. I hate running. If you see me running, call the police because I am in trouble. <laughs> I'm not going to do it. You know, I enjoy walking. I take the stairs everywhere. So like that, that's something that brings me joy. Of all the things you guys have seen running Mind Body Green for the last 14 years, what are some of the things that have maybe stuck? Like, are there things that you're like, hey, we've been doing this now for close to 15 years and that's just stuck and things that you kind of maybe started doing like, hey, that's not sustainable? In terms of of content, I'll take food, for example. You know, we have a chapter of food in the book and, and that one that we've seen so many, I'd say, diets come and go. And I think where everyone can agree and where we agree is essentially eating a whole foods diet and avoiding ultra processed foods. That's like a big one where I think everyone can more or less agree. And that that's what we believe is foundational. Anything else, I think we believe in bio-individuality, believe in doing like some basic blood work and getting an understanding of like your risk factors. There are some people, so like our mutual friend, Mark Sisson, Mark's 69, he looks amazing, he feels amazing. He eats pretty close to a carnivore diet. And we have our other friend, Rich Roll is 56 and basically 100% plant-based. and. He looks amazing and feels amazing. So who's to say like one's right, the other's wrong. 
I think there was a lot of that a couple of years ago. And I think most people have come around to this idea of like understand your genetics, and your blood work and your risk factors, but eat whole foods. That's one thing I think. The food conversations almost feels like political, right or left. It is. It's like, 100%. why can't, like, can we just all agree that everyone is different and like how their, how their there, digestion is different? There was a concept that I started talking about a lot during COVID and I was pretty unapologetic about it. And I said, basically like extremes get answered with other extremes. And I think that doesn't just happen well, in politics, it happens in food. We got, we went so far yeah. extremes with these documentaries on plant-based. Now we're going so far extreme with carnivore. Yeah. It's just, it's just the <laughs> so, pendulum swings. Well, I have a lot to say on this. Go, so, go, so please. We, we, I'll just want to, the, the one, there's a stat we have in the book on media and how media rewards extremes. And we reference a study that Wharton did on the most emailed articles in the New York Times, essentially like the most widely read articles in the world, my, widely read articles in the world. And they classified the articles by emotion. And the top three emotions were anxiety, awe, and anger. Guess what number one was? Anger. Anger increased virality by 34%. In other words, if someone read an article in the New York Times and that article caused that person to be angry, it was 34% more likely to go viral. I don't think the New York Times is unique. I think this is media in general. I get it. Extremes play. And that's the world we live in. And if you're building a personal brand, you're talking about food. How many, you know, Mediterranean diet influencers, you know, say like have some olive oil, a little <laughs> wine, maybe some sourdough occasionally. I don't see a lot of those. It's, you know, it's it's full on, you know, carnivore or full on vegan. We don't like nuance. I also think that there's an element to it of people having it as a part of their identity. That is exactly 100%. what's happening. Yeah. And, and there was a, a Harvard study that as people moved away from organized religion, they applied this exact same fervor, passion, and when it goes awry, tribalism to their wellness practices, you see it play out. You mentioned nutrition. We see it play out now in Pilates, where we're getting <laughs> spicy and heated in the comments when someone suggests that Pilates is not going to give you enough muscle strength to protect yourselves from sarcopenia. It, it's just gone you know, too far where people wrap it up with their identity. And you know, we always say the only thing to be rigid about is being flexible. The science changes, your body changes. As you go through different seasons and decades of life, you respond to different things and your philosophies are going to grow and evolve, I hope. To your point, I'm not going to eat the same way that I ate a week postpartum with my baby <laughs> as I do now. It's it's going to be maybe more warming after I have a baby and maybe more soups and maybe now I'm eating more meat. Like I just think like you're right, it's different seasons, it's being fluid, it's being flexible with it. And people do take their diet and their fitness as a religion. It's like a religious it's almost like they transferred the energy towards religion to diet and fitness because well, they've made it part of their self and their identity right. and, soon, and if you question if you question that practice or process you're questioning them as a person yeah and, you know like I, I think about you know running media businesses you guys may relate to this and doing this show i think the low-hanging fruit for us if we wanted to quote quote unquote go more viral or capture more listeners would be to plant a flag in one of these sands right like if it was political maybe you like, i'm gonna go super right or super left like you know that that's gonna garnish the most right. attention if it was a diet thing you'd say i'm gonna go super plant-based or super car like lauren and i think about that all the time like there are things that could for sure light this on fire in a much different way if you just went to an extreme because you know like that's the stuff that plays but i think it's much harder to have nuance and try to have well-rounded conversations. 100%. So I let's think we talk have about similar conversations yeah. as <laughs> yeah, I mean, listen, I, and and I think like this is there's a there's a balance here where I personally kind of disregard creators or 
people on television, if they have, if I can look at them and say, okay, I know which way they're going to go in any instance. Like, for example, if you take a political issue and I can basically look at you and say, okay, well, you're going to just go down the line on these issues to the right or to the left. I can't then take you seriously as a person because I don't trust that you might look at the world in a different way if you were presented with different information. Does that make sense? Yeah. Or like I can look at some of these, like if you're plant-based and I present you information about, hey, maybe this study that was done on meat's good for you, but because your identity is so stuck in plant-based, you'll disregard it. Like, then I can't trust you as a person because I've, I've realized that you're unwilling to look at any other data outside of the data you like. Same with someone who's meat-based. If they look at plant-based data, if they look at someone like a rich role and say, well, how do you answer this guy's lifestyle and say, like, and see why he's in such good shape? And they disregard that. I'm like, well, I can't trust you either. And the same with politicians, right? If you're if if I can predict right away where you're going to stand, then I just can't trust you on anything else. We're all living in our own echo chambers of the algorithms that we live in. And, you know, we often say if we were individuals, like we see the incentive to just go super hard on an issue and not waver and speak to your base, because unfortunately that is what's being rewarded right now in the algorithms. Yeah. I mean, we sometimes I'll see, like, we'll have a guest on that people don't think we would have on. And I see some people that think we're a certain way get enraged by this. I can't believe you would give this person a platform. I can venture a guess right? of who those people Yeah, and there's a few people like that. And I go, guys, like the last person I ever want to be is the person that you can predict. Like if you, if you can, if, 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 if at any point in time you think I'm just going to always vote or look or think a certain way, then, then I'm not an evolved person. I've, I've failed myself to, I've, I failed myself as an individual to look at more data and information and, and create a more ra- well-rounded version of myself. Like I want to know, even if it's somebody I disagree with, why they think that way, because maybe yeah. I'm missing something. So a practice we did, I don't know if this was good for our sleep, but around the election, Colleen and I would spend our time at nine o'clock going flipping from CNN to MSNBC to Fox, just uh-huh. like want to understand what's going on here. What's everyone saying? wasn't good for sleep. I would not recommend mm-hmm. that, but it was like helpful. And I don't think most people do that. And obviously we're not in the, you know, we're not in politics, but I think it, it holds true to health and wellness. People aren't open to different points of view. What did Denzel Washington say again? If you watch the news. If you're, if you watch the news, no, if you, don't, if you watch, don't watch the news, you're not informed. If you watch the news, you're misinformed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good line. You Which, know what my favorite thing about you is? Yeah, I asked you because I know you, you just told me. Is you take my content that no, I, I just, tell I, you and then prepackage it to yourself. I literally just asked you because you told me it the other day. Um, One time he told my best friend a story with the whole, all the details, a story that she had told him months before. Yeah, I made it As his story. own story. <laughs> well, I was trying to tell. No, I didn't make it my story. I was trying so to. So be suspicious when he tells no, no, a story. I was trying to tell a story that she told me. So I, was, I didn't say it, was, it happened to me. I said, hey, I heard yes. this story, but I forgot she told me the story. <laughs> this was at a time in my life when I would say I was night and day drinking. So, <laughs> um, You guys talk, or you mention avoiding doctors turned celebrities. Can you elaborate on this? It's funny you bring that up because when we were doing a podcast interview with Sarah Godfrey, MD, who I have a ton of respect for, she's like, am I one of the doc stars in your book? <laughs> and so there's good doc stars and there's bad the doc stars. The answer is no. <laughs> the answer is no we in case Sarah there's Godfrey. any ambiguity. We love Sarah. But going to our earlier com- point around people being incentivized to speak to the algorithms, there are some doc stars out there who will just beat that drum, whether the science evolves whether it's not something that's the right information for everyone because they, you know, have the, have the same flawed incentive structure where they are just going to go deep, deep, deep with one point of view. So I, I think we have to be critical of every everything and every place we get our information. And ultimately, when it comes to our own health and well-being, what we encourage is to be the own your own CEO of your own health and well-being. 
you can see the best doctors, you can see the best practitioners, the best healers, but ultimately you are the only person that knows what's best for your body. You know what else I noticed too, along to, along to what you're saying is that a lot of celebrities will use a doctor to promote their agenda, which then makes the doctor famous. So let's say a celebrity wants to launch a line of herbs. They'll get an herbalist to be their doctor. They'll promote the herbalist and then they'll use the herbalist that they promoted, who they've then made famous to promote the herbs that they're launching. It's very manipulative. Yeah. They'll use the doctor to content market whatever they want to sell to the masses because they use the doctor as another sort of layer of credibility. Yeah. And doctors are humans, you know? And look, some doctors are great and very credible and everything yeah. they promote, they believe in. But I think that's been around. You know, I remember watching infomercials as a kid, you know, here's a doctor and I'm wearing my white coat and here's the, you know, uh, Chuck Norris or like there have been so many celebrities who've done this. And, and look, I, think, I trust Chuck Norris completely. I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Keep going. But, you know, it, 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 it is what it is. Doctors Let's, are humans, too. Yes. A diet, exercise, routines. You guys have seen it all with your site. Talk to us about that. What have you found? Overall, we want to shift the conversation to be more about making the cake than the frosting. You got to bake the cake before you can put on the frosting. And we think in general that there's too much signal, too much noise around a lot of the frosting. And don't get us wrong. We sleep on an eight sleep. We like frosting in life. We're not saying don't go enjoy your cupcakes. But like you got to focus on the fundamentals. So our own routines are like extraordinarily simple, sometimes because of our, our time compression and the life stage we're at. But Jason talked about walking, huge believers in walking. We are now from like a nutrition standpoint. Well, you can speak to that. Yeah, I think the, the biggest shift that's happened in our 14 years of Mind Buddy Green. So like the why behind Mind Buddy Green, yoga saved me from back surgery and it kind of opened my eyes. And, you know, getting back to this is 2009. You know, the, the word wellness really wasn't a word. It was something equated with the spa. And it was through that experience. I went from a guy whose idea of nutrition was palm and, excuse me, uh, steak and martinis at the Palm Steakhouse. Like that was my, my routine. I consumed so much. My face is in the wall next to Adam Sandler and Joe Namath at the Midtown Palm in Manhattan. Is that true? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's insane. Well. I'm still there. See what I look like at 27. Much fuller face, a lot of vodka. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> still eat meat, but not as much, so forth. So at any rate, it was through that experience. It's like everyone's got wellness wrong. True well-being is this fundamental, physical, spiritual, emotional, and environmental well-being. Mind, but agreeing, one word, not three. And so like yoga was like everything. We talked about so much about yoga. And I think the biggest evolution was yoga to where we sit today is, is resistance training. As Colleen alluded to, sarcopenia is very real. This idea of losing your lean muscle mass as you age lose you know one percent a year and if you're in your 80s half the population is, is living with it you know, i'm 48 we have two little girls men in my family have a terrible track record with regards to longevity my father died of heart disease at 47 my other grandfather heart disease at 49 other grandfather cancer at 44 wow. and so this is something that you know i take really seriously and the great thing about longevity is there's so much data and science that you know i do believe in epigenetics that we do have the power to turn on and off genes and can live a long, healthy life. And I'm, you know, blessed there. And I think, so I went from yoga to so, to resistance training and the why there is sarcopenia. There's this crazy statistic that a quarter of all Americans over the age of 65, there's fall, 
if you fall and if you fall once, you're twice as likely to fall again. If you fall and break your hip, there's a 30 to 40% chance you will die within a year. Keep in mind, it's not dying from the broken hip. It's all the things that can go wrong, complications from surgery, infection, depression, and so on. And so for me, it was like, wow, like I need to, I went from, you know, being a college athlete, being strong, and I kind of lost that with, with yoga. I had a moment in the process of writing the book where I noticed I lost a little weight and I'm like, nothing, everything feels the same. And I looked in the mirror, I'm like, oh my God, I got old white man's ass. My ass is like disappearing. Like I need to like get in the gym. And so that like resistance training is a big focus because one, I don't want to wither away. And two, why the resistance training? So let's just pretend you're about to fall. What do you want? You want the mobility so you don't fall. You want the strength so you can grab something or you want the armor so you can break the fall. And we have little kids. You know, I want to be running around and playing with, you know, maybe their grandchildren and have that mobility and have that strength to pick up like a little 30 pounder and squat. And that like, that's a big we went from yoga to resistance training in our 40s because that's something that's very real and it's harder to put on muscle as you age. What is your resistance training routine? We are lucky that there is a gym across from where we live. That's amazing. So I do like 15 minutes, 15 to 20 minutes, sometimes a little longer when I can. Maybe that's through this week. It'll be three days a week. Sometimes it'll be five. And then when I can't make it before, I would very big believer in just doing stuff at home, like your classic, like air squats, sit-ups, push-ups, like make time for it in your day. But I, I don't think you need to spend an hour or two in the gym. I really don't. And then like I put on seven pounds of lean muscle in six months. I'm like religious about doing the test and I'm not doing a ton. I'm eating a lot of protein, which is an emotional conversation discussion we can get into, but like I'm focused on it and it's possible. I'm going to put you on to the best razor. So my facialist told me that I needed to basically throw out my leg razors. She's like, you have to start over. And the one that you have to try is Athena Club's razor. I got it in the mail. It's thick and beautiful and silicone and all the things that I like. And it doesn't get all goopy after a few uses. There's a lot of razors that I use and I feel like they just get like slimy. But this razor is so chic. Most importantly, though, and this is my favorite thing about this razor, I've recommended it to all my friends and family, is it leaves my legs feeling moisturized. There are so many razors on the market that dry out your legs and give you like this weird razor burn. And this one is just like an amazing finish. It gives you zero razor bumps and also just like a super smooth finish. I like the white one. They have other colors, but the white one is so beautiful. And I also feel like it differentiates itself from Michael's razor. So Michael has his like weird razor and I have my beautiful white sleek one. So they also have like a shaving foam. So if you want to even like up the soft hydrated leg, you could do that. I am a huge fan of this razor. I have text, like I said, friends and family about it. You can't go wrong. Switch to a better razor and show your skin you care with Athena Club. Get started today by shopping in-store at Target stores nationwide. Just head to the shaving aisle to find the razor kit. Cloud, shave foam, wax strips, and even razor refills. Enjoy. Enjoy. 
quick break to talk about being dehydrated, getting headaches, not performing to our optimal state that we can be performing in. This is why I love Element. I woke up this morning with a massive headache because I overtrained yesterday, didn't drink nearly enough water. So what did I do first thing in the morning? I popped a tasty electrolyte drink mixer called Element right into my water, replenished myself, and boom, feeling back to 100%. So what is Element? Like I said, Element is a tasty electrolyte drink mixed with everything you need and nothing you don't. That means a lot of salt with no sugar. It contains a science-backed electrolyte ratio of 1,000 milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium, 60 milligrams of magnesium with none of the junk, no sugar, no coloring, no artificial ingredients, no gluten, no filler, no BS. Many people don't realize sometimes you need more than just water to hydrate. Element is formulated to help anyone with their electrolyte needs and is perfectly suited to folks following keto, low-carb, paleo diets, and electrolytes facilitates hundreds of functions in the body, including the conduction of nerve impulses, hormonal regulation, nutrient absorption, and fluid balance. It's an incredible product. I take it every single time I train. So does Lauren. And it's been an absolute game changer in our fitness routine. And of course, right now, Element is offering our listeners a free sample pack with any purchase. That's eight single serving packets free with any Element order. This is a great way to try all eight flavors or share Element with a salty friend. Get yours at drinkelement.com slash skinny. This deal is only available through our link. You must go to D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T dot com slash skinny. Element offers no questions asked refunds. Try it totally risk-free. If you don't like it, share it with a salty friend and they will give you your money back. No questions asked. You have nothing to lose. Drinkelement.com slash skinny. Symbiotica, one of our favorite brands on the planet. We just had Shervine, the founder of Symbiotica, on this show for the fourth time. I think it's a record. We were trying to figure that out on the show. How many other guests have been on four times or maybe one, maybe two? And I can't think of them off the top of my mind, but four times, you know, if we're having somebody back that often, it's because they really know their shit. They're very interesting. They have the answers that we're looking for. And Symbiotica has become integral to this. We take so many of their products. We recommend so many of their supplements. One of my favorites is their vitamin D3 and CoQ10. They have just such an incredible line of supplements. I think I think the go-to that we were talking about onto the show is even if you're just starting with their vitamin D3 and their B12 and their magnesium, that is a solid base for anyone to get their foot in the door. What I love about these supplements is you actually eat them. It's like food. It's not like taking just a pill. You eat this stuff and you actually digest it. So it's a whole different delivery system and you get a ton of benefits from doing so. Symbiotica products are made with the highest quality bioavailable ingredients and the most advanced delivery system. Like I said, and like always, we have an exclusive discount code for you. Just visit symbiotica.com slash skinny. That's C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com slash skinny for 15% off site wide. If you're just getting started, I would definitely, like I said, start with the vitamin B12, the vitamin D3, and CoQ10. I think those are absolute game changers that are going to completely enhance your life. Symbiotica.com slash skinny for 15% off-site wide. Again, symbiotica.com slash skinny for 15% off-site wide. Enjoy. I think, and I keep saying this when we get into this conversation on the show, I say it over and over. I think people are too scared of the scale. They start looking at the number on the scale and they don't realize when you start to resistance train and put on muscle mass that the scale may actually go up, but that doesn't mean that you're putting on more fat or that you're you're heavier from fat is because the muscle is more dense and it weighs more. And I think what people, they're conditioned to be like, I need to be X weight on a scale. And if I'm over that, I'm not you know in good shape. 
And so I always tell people when they're starting to do this, like don't not even look at the scale for a while. Like you just want to basically build that mass and tone up because if, if you're so focused on a number on a scale, you're going to get scared the minute you start to put on muscle mass. And then you're like, oh, I, I got to stop doing this. Yeah, I'm lucky. Like, yeah, I, so I, I did women. one of those machines that they do the, your, your body fat and the whole. Yeah, and, and I, the, I yeah. work obviously with a lot of women. I talk, I've, he- I've heard so many women say, I don't want to bulk up. Or what if I bulk up? I'm like, do you know how hard it is? Do you know how hard I work to try to bulk up? And it's, you know, even with all that time in the gym, it's not easy to put on that quote unquote bulk. Like it, it, it's a myth. I also think, girls today fortunately are growing up with with different role models we went by our, our kids high school gym girls are in the weight room this wasn't healthy habits that i saw at a young age that i was thinking about that i was understanding the importance of muscle and so i'm just fortunate people are talking about it more and that girls are developing yeah i think younger. culturally it's okay to be strong as a girl that wasn't a conversation at all when i was when i was growing up and another you know more w- women are more prone i think i forget what the statistic is but way more prone to acl terrors and it's because women weren't doing strength training around like the, the muscles around the knee. So like it's it's really important. I'm not saying this is for everyone, but I since giving actually probably since my daughter was two, I've been weightlifting four times a week and it has changed my life. Yeah. I feel so much better. I have more energy. It gives me a dopamine hit. I feel tighter. I feel stronger. And it's it's literally like I'll try on pants and it's like shrunk me in a different way than losing weight. It yeah. sort of like shrink wraps you. So, I mean, again, this might not be for everybody, but as a woman experiencing what weightlifting has done for me has been incredible. And I lift heavy like I mean, I don't lift like Michael heavy, but I lift heavy for quote unquote a girl. No, but I yeah. think it's important conversation because there's a lot of younger people that listen to this show. And to your point, it's much harder for me personally now in my mid thirties to build muscle like I used to when I was in my twenties. And I think yep. the earlier yeah. you start and the more you get when you're early, the easier it's going to be for you. And I'm, I'm sure yes. you found too, like as you get older, it gets harder and harder and harder. So I, I just encourage people to start earlier than they think they need to start because you're just going to get such more, so, so many more tremendous results. Yeah. And I think it, for us, it's, you know, look, everyone likes to to look better and look good and feel, feel strong and muscular. But for us, it's very much about longevity too. Like I don't want to be the old guy hunched over who's like, sorry, I can't play soccer because i can't move yeah no kids change it for me because i i started i I did this post i was like oh i had like a dad bod with our first kid and it was not a dad no it it was not not. it was not he thinks it was i never was like like for me i felt like it was a dad bod and i your same point like i need to be able to pick up my kids and i didn't want to feel like i couldn't do that or i couldn't carry them up the stairs or i couldn't like you know, if they were tired on a walk, I couldn't throw them over my shoulder. Like that to me, like I can't imagine how hard it is as a parent when you're out of shape and you can't do those things, right? Like it, it must make it exponentially harder and, and you're constantly tired. Like for me, I'm like, I just got to be in shape to like lug these kids around. Yes. And they want to play with you now. Yeah. <laughs> That's not probably, you know. Yeah, and it's easy when they're a baby, when they're, you know, three, yeah. four years old and they want to be picked up. It's like, oh, I got to like, I got to dig deep. Yeah, they do want to yeah. play. This morning I woke up with my daughter's eyes open right in my face and she said, Mouth tape off. <laughs> <laughs> she literally said, mouth tape off. Are there things oh, that you've it. both seen as maybe fads or trends or things that were popular that have just kind of gone by the wayside? What I'm excited about that's actually gained momentum is that the spirituality conversation actually has some science behind it. Because I think spirituality has always been a part of wellness that was like, oh, that's woo woo. 
you know, what do you believe the power of the crystals are? But one of our Coconut Grove friends, Dr. Lisa Miller, is a PhD at Columbia, and she has done some fascinating research on the power of spirituality to give it a little bit more science and teeth behind it that shows that when a, a mother, and you can substitute mother for parent, caretaker, father, grandparent, when a mother and child are high in spirituality, the child is 80% protected against depression. And what I love is that she has a very generous definition of spirituality. So it could be organized religion. It could be spending time in nature. It could be volunteering, caring for others, picking up trash. It's really just about this belief that there's something bigger than all of us. You know, and I, I, I take Dr. Miller's findings as something that you can apply to so many areas of your life. It's like, when you know you and your child are are high in movement, you know eating healthy, nutrition, whatever it is, like there's likely your child's going to be more protected. But for me personally, getting science around spirituality finally has given yeah. it a lot more longevity. I think people too also are more open to 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 nature things like grounding and getting cold and getting hot. Whereas like if you look back 10 years ago, they, they kind of were like grounding. What are you talking about? Putting your feet on the ground? Yeah, if I told my dad, go put your feet in the sand, he'd look at me like, he'd probably smack me upside the head and be like, you're an idiot. <laughs> yeah. You know, like people are more open to that. I've noticed even like meditation. I noticed people are more there. They let it in their ether. Yeah. You mentioned earlier, you said there was an emotional conversation around more protein in your diet. What did you mean by that? Yeah. So th this is where the, the, the science is, is is really strong. If you want to put on muscle, you, in order to promote muscle protein synthesis, you need to ingest enough protein. And so the current RDA, and I always speak in grams, not kilograms, because I just can't, I can't do it, <laughs> is 0.36 grams per, per pound. And that, that is really to survive and not thrive. If you're serious about putting on muscle, you probably need to double or triple that. So is that and a, it's just math is not my strength. Basically a third of your body weight to just survive. So, right? Survive. Yeah. So how, if you want to put on muscle, how much, if, if, if you're say you're, let's say you're 120 pounds. So we'll just do a hundred pounds for the okay. round number. Okay. Okay. Uh, probably 75 to hundred grams of protein Got it. you're going to need if you want to put on muscle. And so, but here's the thing you need, the amino acid profile is really critical, specifically leucine. And so you need to have at least two and a half grams of leucine within the context of call it that 25 or 30 grams of protein to promote muscle protein synthesis. Other words, in other words, you, if you're having, if you're not meeting that threshold, the protein just kind of goes to waste. And so this is where it becomes an emotional conversation because animal products by their amino acid profile are much higher in leucine. Like you can, you can do this if you're eating plant-based, but you need to consume so much more protein and so many more calories to get the leucine. Kids, it's different. Kids can like kind of have everything. They're good for, for us, no. And so that where, you know, you gotta have, if you don't wanna eat, you know, meat or dairy, you're probably gonna have to have a protein powder, but you really need to eat enough leucine and the best way to do it is probably with animal when it probably is with animal products when someone decides they want to eat plant-based i have no qualms with that but when they tell me that they can eat that way and get these same amino profiles i'm like you well can't. you can't unless you're doing a lot of other things and, and eating a tremendous amount and i think what they're then not calculating is when you eat that amount, like you have to deal with a lot of a whole host of other issues because you're yeah. eating so much. You got to have a lot of soy. Like it's possible. It's just a lot more difficult. It is significantly easier to get it through eggs, dairy, meat, fish. I mean, if you if you pinged 
10 people that said they were plant-based, I would imagine nine out of 10 of those people would have no idea what we're even talking about here with aminos and leucine, right? And so I think yes. that's, and it's not a fault on them. It's just, we're not educated as a population. So they right. think they're eating the right way and they're misinformed. And so people that have meat in their diet don't necessarily have as much of an issue with this kind of stuff when it comes to muscle building because they're getting these amino and the beauty it is you don't need to have like a 16 ounce ribeye like if you look at the serving size it's like three to five ounces very small portions of meat to get that amino acid profile and the protein to pack on muscle do you know what i just had the other day liver and you know what i read about liver and it says now this could be wrong so everyone can go google check me but it says that if you eat a serving of liver once a week it's basically like almost all the supplements you need for the whole week. Now, could be wrong, but this is what I read. And I will tell you, when I ate a serving of liver, I was bouncing off the walls. I can't do it. It's I, not I can't that hard. <laughs> it's not that hard. I just put it, I had onions, tomatoes, and the serving is like this big and you just wolf it down. It's well, cooked. you know, I think there's also... You could do it. <laughs> I think having a liver again what's giving liver a bad name and listen we've had some of these people on the, the show. liver king yeah <laughs> <laughs> funny story he was in our studios in la and anyways <laughs> side story but i think like when people see a guy like that and he's got a giant liver slab and he's biting into it raw with his bare teeth and there's all this other meat and heads around like okay this i get it's good for content and it's good to draw attention but like the average person is going to be immediately turned off if you said hey you're going to take a dime-sized portion of liver and have that once a week I think people might say, okay, that's maybe reasonable to see if I could feel a benefit, right? Like this you don't have big. to have a giant bowl of liver. Filled with vitamins and minerals. I, and like I love supplements. We have a supplement business. I take a lot of supplements, but with food, I just won't eat anything that I don't like. I get it. I get it. Hey, I'm I'm not like yum liver, can't wait. <laughs> but I'll eat anything for beauty. No, if there, you told me poo was good for my skin, I might put it on my skin. This is another um, <laughs> I think topic of conversation that again is like getting in some controversial waters. And I was reading Peter Atia's new book and he was talking about some of these, like, what do they call them? Centurions, the people that live past hundred. And like, there was no kind of like, some of them smoked, some of them drank, some of them drank a Coca-Cola every day. One big factor was many of them were social to your point earlier. But a lot of the common theme as I was reading was like, these people were not stressed out all the time about what they were eating or ingesting or drinking or smoking. Like they were just kind of living stress-free, carefree lives. And I think sometimes when we go to these extremes and we get so rigid with our diet or our our fitness routine, you're just like stressing yourself out constantly and smashing so much cortisol into the system. Like that can't be good for you. Yeah. I mean, you pretty much summed up one of the core reasons we have such a complicated relationship with the word wellness. When we look at how it's reflected in society, it comes from this place of restriction and what can I take out? And, you know, why we didn't call our book The Joy of Wellness is because we wanted to shift the conversation to a world of abundance and bring some joy back into all of this. Because at the end of the day, if we're not having a lot of fun, if we're not enjoying life, if we're not connecting with others, like what's the point of living to the Centenarian Olympics? (laughs) And so you mentioned Atiyah, and look, he's brilliant. I think something that's changed also in the last 14 years is like, okay, this idea of lifespan, like we can get you to age 100. And I think the 2.0 was health span. We want to get to get you to age 100, but you want to be mobile and fit for 99 years, 11 months and 30 days, then rapidly decline overnight and die. We like joy span. It's like, what's the point of being around and living to 100 if you're not having fun? And that's something we love about you guys. Like you guys have a good time. Yeah. And and like you, you, you have to. And I think so much of this conversation is about rigidity, as Colleen's saying, and eliminating things from, from your diet 
and and being so rigid, you know, the, the protocols, like I do the hot and the cold and the morning sunlight. And then it's like two hours have passed and my wife's filing for divorce in the morning. Like yeah. you can't live this way. No, my perspective on this, and I'm completely unapologetic about it, is it's, and then people say work hard, play hard, but I want to live my life in the way where it's like, I have a great relationship with my wife and my friends and I'm social and I go have fun and I let the wheels fall off and I'll go party and go crazy. Then I'll go run a business and I'll do a show and all these... I, I don't see any point in excelling in just one area. Like I don't want to be the healthiest guy on the planet. I don't want to be the biggest businessman. I don't want to only be the real, I, right. I want to do all the things and have fun. And if that means I'm cutting my life a little bit short or I'm not reaching that extra dollar or I miss, you know, like to me, I think people miss the mark where they just like focus so hard on being the greatest in one area. And then they forget that like life is meant to be lived. Like I know yeah. so many successful people. I'm like, I would never trade spots. With you. you are a boring motherfucker, right? Like I look at these well, guys that are out there on the circuit. I'm like, your life sucks. It's boring. You're not fun to party with. I would never hang out with you, right? Like that. And I think that there's a lot of guys that you can point to that are like that. We've only got 4,000 weeks on this planet. So yeah, we gotta make you've the most talked of about it. that, but it's had a profound like impact on us. You know, it really puts it into perspective. There are also seasons for life, seasons like with your kids in this particular moment. Like there's, there's a window of time where your kids actually want to hang out with you. Mm-hmm. And then that ends. Oh, and then when you have the time back, you it know, it's ends. like, I can't okay. when you say it ends. Well, it doesn't, oh, it, change, it, it changes, it changes. <laughs> And I think, you know, this idea of, well, I'm going to do this and achieve this, and then we'll spend more time and then the window's gone. And there are these seasons of life and it's something that's really hit home with children. And I think some of the, you know, I'd say the healthiest people we know, some of the most successful people we know are also some of the most miserable people we know. And that's part, that should be part of well-being. Yeah. You got to have fun. No, and I, you know, we have a lot of people that are quote unquote like health experts and they come on the show and they're like, hey, man, you want to hang out? I'm like, no, you're boring. Like, I would never hang out with you. And it's like, I like you. I respect your work. But like, we're not going on vacation together. Like, gonna, I don't want to count my calories and like be judged when I'm like slamming down or some shots of tequila. Like, I want to go have fun with people. And, and listen, to each their own, everyone has a different version of fun. But I think we get, sometimes we get so rigid in life and you forget, like, you only get one shot at this. There's yeah. nothing else. Like, I don't want to look back and be like, man, like, I accomplished all these things, but I was so boring, right? Like, go have fun, like live a little bit. Like, yeah. I love that you guys went out and got away from the kids and went to the bar and let loose a little bit. Like, that's what Lauren and I do. We like that. Like, that, yeah. that's fun. Yeah. What are some joyful daily habits that you both practice? So for me, walking. Like, if I don't get my 10,000 steps, I am a grumpy dinosaur, as my six-year-old Do you tell him to say. go walk when he starts to act up? <laughs> Pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah, that's it. Go walk. Pretty much. Pretty much. Like, I got to get my steps in. We have a rule. If it's less than five flights, I take the stairs. Like, I have to walk. There's nothing for me. Like, I walked around all over Austin this morning. It's like, I woke up super early. I'm like, I'll walk there. I'll walk to Merritt and get coffee. Yep. I'll walk to Starbucks and get coffee. I'll walk to Trader Joe's. Like, I just had to walk and get outside. It brings me joy. There's nothing like walking on like a beautiful day in Miami or Austin or any great city. I love it. And I think walking is like the most underrated longevity practice. Moving to Miami has brought me so much joy. Yes, it was a great move for our kids in school. But from like a personal well-being standpoint, I just find it so much easier to naturally integrate wellness into our life. So pickleball brings me a lot of joy. Going to the beach and just, you know, you have to physically decompress and put your phone away has brought me so much joy. And just being in nature in ways that are just so much harder to integrate into your life when we lived in Brooklyn. What is your favorite tip out of your book that you discovered while researching? I mean, Margarita's at lunch is definitely a fan favorite for obvious reasons. You know, <laughs> we're just we're just big into justifying alcohol. You know, <laughs> no, but that is a... I, 
I, th- that is one of that's high on the list as as well as Dr. Miller's research on spirituality and mothers and girls. It is just so top of mind for us. Like our why has evolved through these seasons of life. Like I started in wellness when at a near catastrophic pulmonary embolism from the birth control pill. And that was like my original why. And that started a really long process of this game of Marco Polo of literally trying everything in, in New York from Western practitioners to holistic healers. And, you know, when I wrote the article on Mind Body Green about my experience with the pill, I heard from so many people who had had a, a similar tragedy happen in their families, oftentimes with a fatal result. And so, you know, the book we have now, The Joy of Wellbeing, is a roadmap I wish I had, which would have been a lot more efficient path to figure out for me what living a well-lived life meant. How did you know that you had something going on in your system and it was from birth control? So I did not listen to the whispers in my body as well as I should have because there were signs. I had, you know, gone to Miami for a fun weekend and came back and was like, oh, I stayed at a bad hotel though. So I don't think we had as much fun. True. I think that may have contributed in the True. spiritual sense. True. I came back and I was like, oh, my ankle's a little swollen, you know, travel back to 2012. I was like, oh, it must be from too much TRX. Cause I think I was doing TRX then. And then I went to Tara Stiles, who is the godmother of our second child's yoga class on a Saturday morning, which was my usual Saturday morning routine. And I, left. And I was like, I'm a little out of breath. And I called Jason and I was like, can you like walk around the West village with me? And I decided we needed to go home. And I took the train home and we were walking up the A train, which has really steep steps. And I collapsed on the steps. But then I did what so many women do. And I gaslit myself. I got out of the subway station and I was like, I'm fine. I'm dehydrated. I don't want to go to the ER. That was a fluke. And so the rest of the weekend, I was lethargic. I took naps, things that are totally out of character. And I think women have more of a tendency to gaslight themselves than than men. And then come, you know, Monday morning, I was working at Amazon at the time. And Jason was like, there's no way you, you are going to work today unless you visit your doctor on the way. So I went to my GP. And within a few minutes, he's like, you're having a pulmonary embolism. And I was totally bewildered. He gave me a little sign that said, I'm having a pulmonary embolism. I wasn't sure if he was worried I wouldn't make it to the ER or if I wouldn't be able to articulate what was happening to my body once I got there. You know, sure enough, it was showers of clots in my lungs. And how did he know that you were having that? That's scary. He 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 did, you know, just the swollen leg and then you couldn't breathe. Yeah. That was the big that's a big one. If if someone has a swollen leg, but I could see why you gaslit yourself. Like you could be like, oh, my ankle sore from working out, or I'm out of breath because I, I walked up the stairs too quick. Like I could see, I can understand that. And so what was the, did, what did you find out what the root cause was? Birth control. Yeah. I mean, when a 32 year old has a PE, they do every single test. And what's interesting and about it is I, I don't have any of the genetic predispositions to clotting. So like if you had gotten like the prenatal testing that you probably got before your, you know, first kid, I don't have factor five. I don't have any of those obvious symptoms. And I had been on birth control pills for like 10 years at this point. So it wasn't like, oh, you know, new new medication that wasn't working for me. I had traveled to other continents, but the combination, like once you start to say flight, swollen leg, trouble breathing, you know, then when you get to the hospital and they do, you know, an ultrasound, then they can see, you know, the showers of clots that were, that were in my leg. So I'm upset that I gaslit myself. I've obviously like moved on from this and have, you know, you know, taken a lot of life lessons from this experience. But yeah, I, I do see how 
how what, it can happen. What did they do once they know you're having that? What's the protocol? So unfortunately, there's not much they can do. The clots have to work themselves out. They give you blood thinners. And it was, you know, we talk about how breath is the first chapter. And it's because it was the first time in my life I had thought about breath. I remember being on subway trains in New York and it was, you know, the sweaty summer when I was dealing with this. And I was so worried that I wouldn't get a seat, that I was like the person not making eye contact with the old people to make sure that I could steal their seat because otherwise I was worried about standing the whole train wide home. Like breath became this, you know, area of concern. And I had never thought about it before. And I started looking at people who had overcome similar struggles in life. And I do think it's part of the value in sharing these stories of resilience because you're reminded of the resilience of the human spirit. And we look to people like Serena Williams and, yeah. and others who had overcome these types of tragedies because it's just this interesting state that I had never been in where it's a true invisible illness. If you looked at me on the outside, I would look totally healthy and no one would know that I was struggling for every breath on the subway. Birth control is one of those things that's kind of like uh, implants because I, I just came out and said I my implants removed. But birth control has, is a similar energy where we're just kind of told when we're young, I'm go on birth control when you start having sex. There was no conversation about what it does to your hormones, what what it could do, your experience. Like you, you just kind of are like, OK, go to Planned Parenthood and go on birth control. I remember going to Planned Parenthood at 15 and a half years old by myself to get on birth control and they give it to you. Okay. But there was no context around what I was taking. And I, I, I don't know if you had this experience, but I took it for like 10 years. Same. Who knows what it did to, to my hormones and getting off of it. There's all kinds of things it does. You get hyperpigmentation. I mean, it's, it's not like it does nothing. I remember taking a 30 point test in college to be able to get birth control pills at the student health center. And all of the questions were focused on how not to get pregnant (laughs) while you're on birth control pill. And there was so little education around clotting and what to, you know, look for. And I had heard about clotting and birth control pill, but I wasn't a smoker. I wasn't overweight. So I think it dismissed it as something that, well, that's not something I need to worry about when actually it it definitely materially was and then once we got off birth control it took a really long time for me to get my period and then we had a very long struggle to get you know to get our two children into <laughs> into the world and i'm sure those events are are somewhat related yeah it's it's probably does something to our hormones meanwhile the guy does nothing like nothing it's honestly unreal we have to take on this burden of this, of this pill in our system for every single day you have to take it. I mean, that is wild. There needs to be, in my opinion, more context and more education around women taking birth control, women getting implants, women getting an IUD. I mean, like there's, there's gotta be repercussions of sticking something inside you and leaving it there. I mean, I, I don't understand how there's not more people talking about these things that women are just doing casually every single day. If you are looking for a grass-fed protein with no artificial ingredients that's non-GMO and gluten-free, I have you covered. It is by Clean Simple Eats. Okay, so most protein powders we know have like that chalky, thick aftertaste, but Clean Simple Eats is super creamy and smooth. 
So this is something that you could mix into your matcha. I'm a big fan of protein and matcha. It's such an easy way to get protein. So you could like froth it in. You do like a little raw milk or some almond milk and you froth in your protein. They have this flavor that's simply vanilla and it literally tastes like ice cream. It's so smooth. And this protein is like all over TikTok. Everyone is like mixing it with all different kinds of things. You could mix it with orange juice. You could make like an orange Julius. You could do it in a shake and oatmeal. It just like frosts everything up. But the best part is you're getting protein. I have completely upped my protein game, especially after having a baby and losing 50 pounds. And I think protein is key. And if there's ways to sneak it in that are strategic, I'm all about that. One of the things that I love about Clean Simple Eats is their high ingredient standards. So like I said, it's grass-fed, no artificial ingredients, third-party tested, non-GMO, and gluten-free. So we have a code for you. I actually used my own code. You can visit cleansimpleeats.com and use code SKINNY at checkout for 20% off your first order. That is cleansimpleeats.com, code SKINNY for 20% off your first order. I find it so annoying when people are like, oh, my baby's just so good. They sleep through the night. No. Having your baby sleep through the night requires strategy. And with Towns, we did something that was absolutely life-changing. So we did a sleep sack, but a lightly weighted sleep sack. This sleep sack has helped my baby sleep for eight hours a night. I'm not joking. I swear by this. I tell all my friends. I have texted to family. It's like a gently weighted sleep sack that really relaxes and calms the baby. This makes so much sense to me personally because I use a weighted blanket, especially when it's cold, and I feel like it just calms me down when I'm anxious. So to have this for the baby makes a lot of sense. Sleep is so important, not just for the baby, but for the parents. So to be able to have a product that's safe and natural and actually works is incredible. So I tested this out basically probably when Towns was like one month and on, and I have to tell you, It has made him a champ when it comes to sleeping. They have all different colors. I personally like a neutral or the black. You could pick whatever you want. But this is perfect, especially if your kids like their arms out. Towns likes his arms out. It's soft. It's the perfect amount of weight. It's absolutely incredible. And of course, we have a code for you. So you can go to dreamlandbabyco.com and enter our code SKINNY at checkout. You receive 20% off site-wide plus free shipping. This offer is for new and existing customers. I'm telling you, I have had the sleep sack through all iterations of my baby's sleep, and it's absolutely incredible. I can't live without it. Dreamlandbabyco.com. Use our code SKINNY. One thing that I think a lot of people don't realize is celebrities and influencers are using a personal stylist and it can get pricey. So I have a hack for you. It's called Stitch Fix. So basically you have access to this personal stylist who's curating the perfect pieces for your unique style. They have all the things on their site. So think a wide range of sizes. They also have like over a thousand brands and styles. I'm a big fan of Rails and Calvin Klein. Those are on their site. I mean, you can really go wild there. They have like Good American, Paige. I needed something pink for this Barbie party that I'm going to this weekend. 
It's my goddaughter's party. And I wanted something specific from Good American. So I went on and scoured their site. And what's so amazing is it's like you really do have access to a style partner. Your stylist will learn about your tastes and collaborate with you on looks that you will be obsessed with. You can try on your pieces at home before you buy them. And then you just keep what you love and send back the rest. Plus, shipping returns and exchanges are always free. I'm telling you, this is what the celebrities do. The influencers, they use a personal stylist. And with this, there's no subscription required. Try Stitch Fix today. You can go to stitchfix.com slash skinny and you'll get 25% off when you keep everything in your fix. That's stitchfix.com slash skinny for 25% off today. Stitchfix.com slash skinny. Stitchfix.com slash skinny. I'm glad that a decade later, women are talking about it a lot more than they were back then, but totally agree. There needs to be more education around this multifaceted thing. Cause there was a moment in time when, you know, if you said something bad about the pill, you weren't being feminist. And luckily, you know, that conversation ha- and dialogue has evolved. And I don't know what the answer is as, you know, the I answer is make guys do something because we're over <laughs> it and we need a break. You guys go do something. Go take a pill that fucks up your hormones and gives you blood clots. I'm sick of it. No. Well, <laughs> next question. <laughs> Just kidding. Well, on that subject, men are responsible for 40% of fertility issues. We've been talking about that. I mean, yeah. we've been talking about that more. Huh. And so that was a, a big part of, of our story. Uh, it's in the book. Uh, we were we were trying to get pregnant and it, and it wasn't working. And then go. F- Hold on one slide. So, to your point, they did have me do two rounds of Clomid, Clomid before, yeah. they, before tested they tested Jason, yeah. which so was then, a major mistake. So then mess they step. tested me and no sperm. I'm like, well, I don't understand. They're like, well, no sperm. And so I had this condition, azuspermia. And they didn't think it was genetic. I didn't have a genetic mutation for it. So they thought there was some sort of blockage, something blocking the sperm. So there was an easy test where I think north of 90% of the blockages occur. And you know, I had to go to the doctor, I'll bend over. I won't spare you the details, but it was painful <laughs> and blockage wasn't there. And so it was a very low- Bend pr- over? Wait, what do you mean? See, Lauren, here you Hold were on. saying you're not do anything. You do you have the whole fist up there, Doc? Don't spare me the details. <laughs> whole fist, mean? Doc? Bend over. Like up your butthole? Yeah. He, doctor went in there, elbow deep, and, and just went in. <laughs> Wait, but how does that have to do with where the sperm's coming so there's out? I was thinking it's the, the other prostate? way. They're so there's in- a block. He went pretty far. Okay. <laughs> so he, he the, the whole doctor went in there, and the blockage was not in that spot where most of blockages occur. And it was kind of like we were hoping for that because that would have been the easier, easier fix. And so they actually, it was a big question of whether or not I produced sperm at all. And there was a very small chance that the blockage was somewhere else. And so we went to a specialist. This guy flew in from St. Louis to New York once a month to, to do this procedure. And this was like, like a, a factory, like a fertility factory, show up there at like 7 a.m. on a Saturday. And we meet with this older gentleman and he sits us down. He's drinking a Coca-Cola. And right away, I'm like, we're not going to vibe here. And he jumps into, you know, I hope it works out because adopting is a terrible idea. The kids have all these problems. Oh, Jesus. And we're just, like, we don't believe in this. So I'm like, we also believe in like having a strong emotional connection with your doctor <laughs> and, you know, the healing energy. And this guy was like the total opposite. He's drinking soda. He's saying, if it doesn't work out, you're screwed. Adopted kids have all these problems. Let's go. You're, let's cut your testicles open. And so essentially that that was the the procedure where they cut my testicles open. Oh. I was had anesthesia from the legs down. 
And we were lucky enough. It was, you know, 12 vials of sperm. It was, it was a gold rush. It was a success. It was very, the anesthesia wore off like an hour later and it was <laughs> laying in bed for a while. Oh my God. Um, and that was only like the, the living around for a while. Like how did they part get the one. sperm out? They, so they Lord, cut open Lord, the testicle. What happened? Hold on, but do they have to like get the sperm going? Here you going? are, Lauren, saying guys don't <laughs> do anything. The, the doctor's to... working this guy like a puppet. <laughs> the sperm... Yeah, now I feel bad. Okay, you're, you've taken So the sperm the is in the testicle. Okay. They cut open the testicle and extracted the sperm. Okay. And took out 12 vials. I want to commend you for talking about this. Jason, this is so important for more men to talk about because what I notice is that the woman always gets blamed and the woman wants to protect the man's ego. I've seen this a lot. And the woman almost will go along with the story that she's the quote unquote problem of why they can't get pregnant when it's actually the man. It, it was. And look, this was getting to the starting line. It was still it was still a journey and a couple year journey and number of like it was a it was a tough process. But like to your point, like men don't talk about it. And there was a problem. And to this day, I even went back after we had our second children. I'm like, test me again. Like, is this something spiritual? Or maybe it was like my homocysteine level or something weird. And like, sure enough, like nothing was coming out. And the doctor was like, Why do you care? I'm like, that's a really, really good point. Like you have healthy kids, you have sperm, it's all good. But like it was, and then yeah. it, it still continued we, on. Like we, this was the starting line. We got to the starting line, and then we thought it would just be easy, you know, <laughs> easy, fantastic. <laughs> and it was a total of nine IVF transfers and fifteen Whoa. embryos. Hold on, to does get that mean that you had to, child. you had to, you had to do the shots to freeze embryos nine times? So I did. Four retrievals when you do the shots. Wow. And then nine transfers. And on the ninth transfer, my doctor put in four embryos. And the embryologist was like, what are you doing? So you could have got, you could have had four kids at once? I could have. We just have one really we strong girl. We just have one really killed, strong girl. Killed who is all the, the fiercest <laughs> six-year-old you'll ever meet. And then on we, we have a second child. And the night before... Or the day before, I had seen some twins and I was like, hmm, interesting. I don't think I could handle twins in New York City. And then I didn't sleep the night before my transfer. And I woke up and I was like, Jason, we're going to get pregnant. Called my doctor and I was like, just transfer one. And that's Grace. So so you ended up transferring one, even though he said four. No. So to get to Ellie, four were transferred. Four went in. She eliminated and then on Grace, the other three. We in. only transferred one. Got and then pregnant. it happened. Got yeah. it. So, so you had to be, I don't know what the right verbiage is. You had to, what's the, what are they, what's the turkey baster thing that they do? What's it called when they, yeah, they had a tra- that's the, the transfer, trans- right? the transfer yeah. Yeah. you had to do that nine times. Yeah. Total. Yeah. And there was also like some false starts along that. Oh, so God, like there yeah. was times when I was having these like weird issues where my lining wasn't get a, getting thick enough, but I would go through part of the transfer process and then in like the most painful form, like the day before or the day of, they'd be like, we can't waste this embryo because this lining, you know, isn't perfect and we can't waste a precious embryo. embryo. And like, it was just this really odd thing because I had all all the great vitals, like my AMH was fine. I'd produce all these embryos. And I, you know, I saw the, we had a couple of miscarriages as part of those nine transfers. And I saw the guy you see in New York 
And it was kind of like a funny full circle moment because last week someone pitched him to me as like an expert for our podcast. And I was like, oh, like he, little we, do they we, know I'm Colleen, a spaceship. We were such edge cases. <laughs> this guy agreed to see Colleen because he was fascinated by her case because it should have been easy, yeah. but it wasn't. So there was this feeling of it's you're going to get pregnant, but at the same time, we have no idea why it's not happening. And to this day, we oh. still have no idea why someone with so many, you know, well-tested embryos took so long to get to the final result. And it is one of life's mysteries that we will never know. When you did the four rounds to get embryos, how many embryos did you get total to be able to do seven rounds of IVF? I would get a lot of them. Like the first time when we were at the factory, it was like a <laughs> low dose factory We and where they don't give you as many hormones. So you don't produce as many embryos. Energetically, we needed to leave the factory and we realized we needed to find someone. It was going to be a journey. We needed to find someone who was kind, compassionate and had shared values. And Dr. Azim of NYC IVF wanted me to get pregnant almost as much as we did. And I found this kind, compassionate doctor who didn't care that I was single-handedly destroying his IVF statistics on his pregnancy rates, which eat with each and every time he saw us. And, you know, that was kind of, you know, what we knew we, we needed. We'd go to these other clinics and I was like, nope, I, I need the kind, compassionate doctor who believes in me. And then when we were ready for to do it again with Grace, Colleen called back and we found out he had passed away. And yeah, he must have been really sick. Th there had been a lot of coughing yeah. going on Whoa. in our appointments. And he actually, you know, between children had passed uh, from lung cancer. And he and his wife were the co-doctors in the practice together. So then his wife was our doctor for Grace. But like to this day, he's like such an important part of our life. Yeah. And I think just like with regards to fertility, like it was brutal. I was, was going to ask, brutal. I mean, this sounds so stressful. What were you guys doing at the time to kind of manage <laughs> those emotional swings? It's also was Drinking just earlier in the day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was also such a different era of being able to talk about this stuff because it was 2012 when it started, 2016 when we got pregnant, 2017 when when Ellie was born and you know we weren't remote working. I remember just so many horrific kind of moments of being in Kansas City and having to do a blood draw and finding like a lab corp on the way where I could get my blood drawn or like going to leaving a, a failed procedure and then having a meeting with, you know, someone who announced that they accidentally got pregnant. Um, I don't I think that, that, like there's, that so there's many not enough um, almost time to pause to realize like there's a lot of micro traumas within what you experienced. Yes, you're it's incredible. You have two children now. First of all, it's a lot. And second of all, this it's not like you can go back in history 100 years and be like, oh, this person did this this way, too. Totally. It's such a like new age thing to yep. be able to get pregnant with IVF that it's not like you can call your mom. And you guys are running a massive wellness business at the same time. And no one knows what to do and say. And I, I know everyone's so well intentioned. And, you know, you're kind of everyone's walking on eggshells around you who does know. And I didn't want to share with more people because I didn't know how long this insane roller coaster was going to last. And I don't think it was until, you know, COVID when I had a lot of time to read, wasn't doing as much. And I read The Body Keeps the Score. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I think we had a lot to, but, but, <laughs> to work through there energetically yeah. I, that it accumulated. I also think, and this is the reason why we're sharing it, 
people are more open now. And back then it wasn't an open conversation. There was almost, when we talked to people in our world, there, there, there was a lot of guilt and shame. And if you weren't, you know, doing a natural birth, something was wrong with you. We went to all sorts of healers. I remember we went to one alternative healer for, for me and he was like, oh, castor oil. And like, I tried it, I tried everything. It's like, give me a break. Like in retrospect, really? Like castor oil? Like I never want to see castor oil again. And, and did you drink it? No, like rubbing castor oil, like to 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 undo stimulate the block, things. to stimulate and undo the. On your the, penis, he says. To no, rub no, it was oil. above. It oh, was okay. like above. <laughs> Lord, where does your mind go? I don't know. I'm just like, where do you put the castor oil? Do you drink get it? Get the do whole you fist up use there. Use it as lube. <laughs> so, but, but it, and there there was this. There was a lot of guilt. There was a lot of shame that there maybe something was wrong with you, or you were doing something wrong, and you know natural wasn't even a viable option for us because of Colleen's Colleen and pulmonary embolism. It was like, she's going to be high risk no matter what, like that's real. And so I, I, that's one thing I think that's been positive of people are a lot more open now, back then, not so much. I remember when Colleen was pregnant, we weren't telling people for all the reasons we were really waiting. One of our friends who was an influencer said, looked at Colleen and was like, I think you have, you like SIBO. I think you have SIBO. Like you looks like you're bloated a little bit. Like we we just like kind of smiled and rubbed it off. It's like no, like Colleen's pregnant. <laughs> I think that being open takes the air out of shame. Like when you can just be an open book and just share your experiences or your micro trauma or trauma or whatever you've been through. When you talk about it, it takes the air out of the guilt. I could be self aware enough to know that like that maybe comes more naturally to to some individual like being open comes naturally to Lauren. I just like, that's just how we've been. But I, I know a lot of people, I like, will talk to some people like, how do you just be open and how do you share it? I don't think there's some great superpower. I think it has a lot to do with how you grew up, who your parents were, the environment, all these things. But to some people, it's very foreign to be an open book because whether they're, you know, they grew up in a more strict household or in a conservative environment, or they grew up in a place where there was religion that was maybe a little more oppressive. Like there's a, there's a million reasons why people might not be so I, I, I do have some empathy for people like, yeah, easy for you to say. But at the same yeah. time, I think what we try to do is is take the stigmas out of things so that people cannot, their, their first reaction is to not just pass judgment. And there's so yeah. many people going through a shared experience, right? There's one of eight. Or, or yeah, and I, and I think with yeah. men in this conversation, it's more difficult. And look, like I wasn't sharing this. This happened in 20, <laughs> or Ellie was born in January of 17. We're, it's it's almost June of 23. So a lot of time has passed and something like our family knew, but like, I wasn't like raising my hand to like post on Instagram. Hey guys, guess sure. what surgery no, is happening? No, I mean, there's not a lot of men that want to tell that story. Like, you know, that's just, sure. it's just not it, one. And that's probably a comment on us as men, right? Like there's a, like, why do we feel shame around something like that when it's obviously to the betterment of your family and to bringing joy into your life. But there is, there is these weird pockets of society where we still feel like we can't share parts of the human experience. Yes. I think it's yeah. so cool that that you're sharing this and both of you guys are sharing this. I think it's amazing. And I bet you're going to get a lot of DMs about this conversation. What can we expect from the joy of well-being? A practical guide to a happy, healthy, and long life. Well, it's really fun read. It's not as boring <laughs> as all the health books out there might be biased. But it's the roadmap I wish I had when I was struggling with my pulmonary embolism. And I wasn't listening to the whispers of my body. If you asked me what brought me joy at this point in life, I would have, you know, looked at you confused. It's the roadmap I wish I had then to 
help me live a better life. And I, and I think it squarely addresses the big objections to health and well-being, which are, I don't have the time and I don't have the resources. And we started to feel that way too. And this book takes the 14 years of knowledge we have and all the experts. And we were so excited because you know what? So much of the great science actually points to practices and modalities and routines that are actually are one or lower, lower, no cost require very little time and effort. And we think like we can get you like 80% there. Like you can do it. It's possible. No matter how busy you are, it is possible. Where can everyone find both of you and follow Mind Body Green? So Mind Buddy Green is at Mind Buddy Green and MindBuddyGreen.com. And we also have a podcast mm-hmm. and the book is TheJoyOfWellBeing.com. It's also on Amazon and every major book retailer. And we're at Jason Wacob and at Colleen Wacob. I'm going to go take a walk after this episode. Thank you both so much for flying out. We will let you know when we're in Coconut Grove. Maybe and sooner rather than later. sharing your story. Amen. We got to take a pickleball. <laughs> Come to the Grove, guys. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you. Thank you guys so much for listening. We have a solo episode coming up for you next week. It's so much fun. It's all my postpartum tips and tricks and workout hacks. I hope you love this episode. Please rate it on the podcast app and let us know what you think.